0: We go ahead and dismiss all of our kids for children's church this morning, so kindergarten through third grade. You guys can head on to the back corner, in the back, and they'll come back with us at the end of service. Good morning, everyone. My name is Andy. I'm glad to be here this morning to be able to share the word with you. Your Bibles will probably naturally open up to the book of Matthew, um, chapter seven, but we're not going to be there um, this morning. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter five. We're going to take just a, a brief pause. Um, from Matthew and look at this passage in Mark. We thought um, weeks and weeks ago we planned this to give us a moment um, to kind of piggyback on our trip overseas and give us a moment for us to kind of dig in a little bit while that's fresh on our minds about our call as believers to go into a dark world and to proclaim what Christ has done to proclaim all that He has done for us, the mercy He has demonstrated to us, to to show us as the church what is our responsibility as those who have been shown the power of Christ. What is our responsibility in the world? What are we called to do in a world that is full of darkness? And so we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5 this morning, the first 20 verses um, in the book of Mark. And one of the big themes that I want us to see in this passage of Scripture is the value of one. The value of one, of Christ coming and redeeming and helping and restoring and healing and all that He did for one person. And to see God in His infinite mercy and His infinite providence care about one individual in a sea of all kinds of people. I've been faced with this a couple of different times in my life, twice that have just kind of overwhelmed me in its, in its uniqueness, in its bigness um, of, of God doing something that doesn't makes sense. And so, a few years ago, I've been to Turkey many times, and a few years ago, I think I've shared the first part of the story before, but a few years ago, um, my wife and I lived in Turkey, and we, we, we were there and helping with English clubs, and there was a gentleman that I got to be friends with and got to share the good news with on a regular basis. I have gone on several trips after that, and ten, at least 10 years after that, I was there on a trip with one other person from my former church, and we were walking through this city of some say 18 to 20 million people, and off of a bus steps my friend and literally runs into me as he steps off of this bus in a city of 18 to 20 million people that I hadn't talked to for 10 years and bumps into me into the street of this gigantic city. We got to see each other and said, wow, it's so amazing to see you, it's so incredible that I get to see you in this, I've been praying for you for years, and to go to an English club that night. And guess who shows up at the English club that night as well? This same man. We went back to Turkey this couple of weeks ago, and I got to ask a friend of mine. I have a friend. He's been here for a long time. He's like, he's still coming to English Club. So tell him that I'm praying for him. And we see this incredible thing in the story, and I think, oh, that's amazing, it can never happen again. We were in Turkey again just a couple of weeks ago, and one of the nights that we were there, we had a time of playing games, and I met a young lawyer that night, and I got a chance to talk with him and hear his story and be able to say to him in the midst of what was going on in his life that God sees you, God cares about what you're doing, and that was Monday night. Thursday morning, we get on a subway and travel a good half an hour, get on a bus and travel again, and guess who I bump into? as we're walking to the next subway, is that very man again. And to be able to see him, and it said, see, he sees you. In the midst of that, and to see the— The immensity of that in a city that large, in a city of 18 to 20 million people, to bump into someone that you just met a couple of nights ago, it would be impossible in Perrysburg to pull that off. But to pull that off in Istanbul, Turkey, as large as the city is, reminds me again and again and again, God sees and cares about the one. And he calls us to step into the hard. He calls us to step into the darkness because the one is valuable. Because God is doing something infinitely bigger than we can ever imagine through our proclamation of the gospel and through that individual hearing the gospel and then as a testimony to the gospel, going out and sharing that with other people. And I want us to see as we look through Mark, the first 20 verses, that in a world full of of what feels like overwhelming darkness, what feels like a darkness that that can't be subdued, that can't be tamed, that I think the right question for us is asked, can anything possibly be done? Is any light possible? Is any hope possible in a world that is full of this darkness? And the response that I want us to see as we walk away from this is not that God is calling us to run from the darkness or to complain about the darkness or to ultimately in our own strength try to fix the darkness, but to step into the darkness and say, look what the Lord has done and how he has shown mercy on us. And that it's worth it for every individual that we talk to. It's worth it as we step into that. If you'll read with me from Mark chapter 5, this is verses 1 through 20. And the uniqueness about this, if you know anything about the book of Mark, Mark likes to get to the point as quickly as possible. Mark has a lot of stuff. He gives not a ton of details about stuff. He just gets to the point over and over and over again. One of the big words in the book of Mark is immediately. He's trying to move the story along as quickly as he possibly can. But for some reason, in this passage of Scripture, Mark gives a lot of details. Details that he doesn't give anywhere else, details that Matthew, who writes about this, Luke, who writes about this, do not give as well. But Mark, for some reason, gives us a full picture of what's happening in this passage of Scripture. So Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, Mark writes this as inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, they came to the other side of the sea, they mean the disciples and Jesus, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs in the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen been fled, and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there. and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this passage of scripture. We pray that your spirit would illuminate our eyes, would open our hearts to see what it is that you would have for us, Lord, that we would be changed, Lord, as a result of your word, as a result of your spirit working in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want us to see this morning in the book of Mark. And one that I want us to see as initially here is the power of darkness. The power of the spiritual forces of darkness that are living in this time that Jesus is experiencing, that Jesus is pushing back, and those same uh, spiritual darkness that is living today in our midst as well. I want us to see the power of darkness that we see this first and foremost, and I don't want to camp out there because that's not the biggest point of my message. My biggest point of my message is not to scare you, is not to say how awful things are, how how powerful darkness is, though that is true. The biggest part of this message is to point to Christ and His ability to push back the darkness and our call to step into that. But first, I want to look at the power of darkness. Look with me again at the verse, verses 1 through 5. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met Him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Look with me at the details that Mark gives us about this man. First and foremost, this is real. This is a real man, really possessed, really being hurt, really being subdued, really strong for this. This is a real story. This isn't something Mark made up. This isn't some kind of Aesop's fable that was used to create some fear in us. This is a real story about a real person, about a real healing, who was really under the power of darkness. We see this, this man lived as a a result of an unclean spirit, lived among the tombs because there was no place for him. It was unsafe for him to be in the city, that the only place that the city could, could place him and to put him was among the tombs, was among the dead. We see in here that he lived among the tombs, and two times, Mark tells us, no one could bind him anymore. And it says again in verse 5, no one had the strength to subdue him. Every chance they had to subdue this man, to bind this man, the power of darkness was so great in this man that he broke the chains every single time. There is a fear that came with this man. There is a danger that came with this man. He was set apart from the crowd, set apart from the city because of the danger that was surrounding him. He was a danger to himself and to everyone around him. The power of darkness was overwhelming this man. But the town had no clue what to do with this man. No ideas of how to help this man. That everything they tried in their own strength, in their own beliefs, in their own worldviews failed miserably. This man, for every intent and purpose, this man was hopeless in the world. Nothing was going to help him. Nothing was going to rescue him. Mark wants us to feel the weight of the darkness that was on this man's shoulders. He wants us to sense the evil that was surrounding this man. This is why such details are given to us. This is why he doesn't just say, hey, there was a demon-possessed man. Jesus met him, and the demons went away. He gives us all of these details because he wants us to feel the weight of the darkness. And I think for us today, as we read this story, one, again, it's real what this man actually went through. And for us today, I think it's real for us— necessary for us to feel the weight of the darkness that is around us, the weight of the spiritual forces that are around us, the battle that we're facing day in and day out against evil. And we see the power of darkness in the world all the way around us, and we are oftentimes overwhelmed by it. We watch the news, we watch the, the, um, the TV shows, we flip through Twitter, and some of our response is there is no hope in the world. There is no way this is going to get better. There is no fix for this. There is no way any of this is going to be resolved. It is hopeless. We see it in our society all the time, the weight of evil that we're feeling. We see it in our society. We're voting on something on Tuesday that could put into law the killing of our children. We see it when our youth are being experimented on for the sake of tolerance and for the sake of acceptance. We see it when neighbor hates neighbor over — merely over who they voted for. We see it when people walk into schools and businesses and open fire willingly on whoever happens to be there. We see the evil in our world over and over again. We see the darkness, and we see how at times we as the church step into that. We see it in our churches at times when our churches love their country over Christ. We see it in our churches sometimes when our churches love our culture over Christ. We see the darkness creeping in over and over again. We see it when country goes to war against country and their citizens lie dead in the streets. We are overwhelmed by the darkness. We see it in places like Turkey and Bangladesh and China and North Korea and Sudan and Afghanistan and India where billions of people are lost in spiritual darkness without hope in the world. And there's a part of it I think Mark wants us to feel the weight of that darkness with this man and look at the world around us and feel the weight of darkness around us. And to look at ourselves and to say, there is no hope in me to fix this. There's nothing that I can do to make this right. It is too big of a problem. The weight of the darkness is too big. We feel as we look at the world around us that it's too big to be bound, it's too big to be subdued. We need to see of the world around us. there is an enemy that wants to destroy us. Jesus tells us in John 10:10, 10, 10, "The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, that the devil is a cruel master. He wants to deceive us and to, to believe that it's better and it's easier and it's more comfortable and it's accepting and it's freeing and all of those things. But the devil is a cruel master. What we see in Mark 5 with this man is what the devil wants to do to every single one of you. Wants to destroy you, wants to, to, to subdue you, wants to destroy everything about you. The reality is that all of humanity, that you, And myself, in and of ourselves, are under the power of darkness. In and of ourselves, in and of our own strength, we're under the power of darkness. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 3, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked— following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and in the mind and were by nature children of of wrath just like the rest of mankind this is who we are in and of ourselves under the spiritual weight of darkness under shackles and chains that cannot bind us, that we are too strong in the darkness to overcome. Paul also tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, that even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The weight of the spiritual darkness that we're seeing in the world should overwhelm us, should see that the evil one is blinding the minds of unbelievers, blinding the eyes of the world for them to think that the world has everything they have to offer, for them to think that in and of themselves they're going to be okay, for them to think that whatever their mind can conceive of is good and right, to be a judge of what is right and evil in their own eyes, to to convince us that that is true. Why do I bring this up? Why is it so important for us to see in Mark 5 the weight of the darkness over this man? One, I think we need to see that we have a true enemy that is out there. Our true enemy is not the government. Our true enemy is not our laws. It's not politicians. It's not other countries. It's not your husband or your wife or your neighbor. That is not the true enemy. The true enemy is the evil one who wants to destroy us. He is the true enemy. And in and of ourselves, we cannot defeat him. We can't. And I think the reason I want to bring this up too is I think there's some of us that have grown accustomed to the evil. We're just used to the darkness because we've just seen it so often. We're just faced with it every day. We're overwhelmed with it every day. And so it becomes normal for us. The darkness feels normal for some of us. I can't do anything about it. It's just one story today. The story will probably be worse tomorrow. Oh, well, I still have to go to work. I just go on with my life. And Mark wants us to see in this passage, it's not normal. We're not to grow accustomed to the evil in the world. We are to be overwhelmed by it in a sense that something has to be done. Something has to redeem this. Someone has to step in to do something about this. And how do we combat such a great power? How do we combat this hopelessness that we feel? And I love in this story that we feel the weight of this, but I love that Jesus steps into the sea. That the power of darkness is real and powerful, but the power of Christ is infinitely stronger. When the world looks around, when we look and say it's hopeless, nothing can be bound, nothing can be stopped, nothing can fix this, Mark says Jesus steps off the boat— and towards the darkness, and into the hurt, and into the pain, and Jesus alone has the power to overwhelm the darkness. So we see, number one, the power of the darkness, but number two, what I want us to see is the power of Christ, how infinitely more powerful Christ is. Look with me in verses 6 through 13. And when he, the demon-possessed man, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. Some of the things I want us to see are very clear here in Mark about who Jesus is and about the power of Christ. No one could overwhelm this power. Nothing that the townspeople did, did anything to stop the demon possession of this man. What did this man do the second he saw Jesus? Fell at his feet and recognized his deity, his power that no one else could could recognize. Immediately said, I know who you are. You are the son of the most high God. And in these few verses, we see the word begged multiple times. It is very important that we see spiritual forces of darkness begging Jesus, seeing that they were powerless before this Christ, powerless before this Messiah who has come, powerless to do what they wanted to do, that anything that these spiritual forces wanted to do came at the permission of Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. And multiple times they begged, please don't do this to us. Does Mark once Tell us that the the demons begged the townspeople for anything, that they begged the man for anything. But instantly they recognized the power of Christ, begging him to not destroy him, begging him to not send them away. And what we see at the end of verse 13 that I love, that kind of Mark sticks in there very quickly so he gave them permission. Who rules over the spiritual forces of darkness? Who rules over this world? Who rules over our governments and our laws and our countries? Who rules over our hearts? Who is Lord of all? Who is King of kings? Jesus. So anything that happens in the world, this world, happens at the permission of our great, kind, good, and loving God. And the spiritual forces that we see in the world around us are in submission to Jesus. He has power over all of them, even the darkness and the depths of my heart. This is where Jesus reigns and lives. The only thing strong enough to overcome the evil in our world is Christ, is Christ. He alone can do it. Chains will never be enough to stop the power of Christ. Shackles will never be enough to stop the power of Christ. Our superstitions will never be enough to stop the power of Christ. Christ rules and reigns. This is what Jesus has done for us, Colossians chapter 2, saying of Jesus, after his death and resurrection, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them. 2 Corinthians 4, a continuation, the God of this age has mo- has blinded the eyes of unbelievers, but Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 4 and says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. For God who said, let light shine of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What does... Allows unbelievers to see and to be unblinded and to be able to see the glory of Christ, God is the only one capable of breaking those chains, of taking away the scales from our eyes. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ's power is enough to overwhelm, defeat, and deliver the darkest darkness in our world. The darkest evil can be overcome by Christ. And as we look to the world around us, our, our, our desires should grow for Christ more and more. Our hope should grow more and more as we see that Jesus is the one who can come. And for us, for those who call themselves believers, for those who are trusting in Christ, the only thing we have to offer the world is the only thing that will redeem the world. That is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. That's all we have to offer. That's the only gift we have. That's the only real solution we have to the world. We have nothing else to offer the world but Christ, and Christ is sufficient for all of it. The only thing this man needed to overwhelm the darkness in his life was Jesus to say, get out. And at the willingness of Jesus, the demons got out. And went away. And this is what we bring into the world. This is the hope that we bring into the world, is the power of Christ. The power of Christ to overwhelm the darkness, to redeem the darkest hearts, to redeem the, the most difficult circumstances, is Christ and Christ alone. This is what we offer the world. As we look at this passage of Scripture and continue on, we see, unshockingly, there is a varied response. Number three, there's a varied response— to what Jesus is doing among this men. Shockingly, not everybody is super psyched about what Jesus is doing. In fact, most people don't like what Jesus had just done. Most of the people there were afraid and said, go away from us, Jesus. Right? We just read that in Matthew not too long ago, right? That the, the road to destruction is broad and many are on it. The road to life is narrow and few are on and that's a hard saying but we see it being played out right here in Mark 5 that most of the people aren't excited about what Jesus is doing. Look with me in verses 14 to 17 this first response. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon possessed man the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. What does it say? And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Most of the people, in response to seeing this man that no one else could help, sitting clothed and in his right mind, most of them were afraid and said, the one who did this needs to get out. What kind of response, what kind of foolish response is to that, is that? That's a 2 Corinthians 4, the blinding of the eyes kind of response. When Jesus does something so blatantly obvious in front of them, and their response is, go away from us. We don't want that kind of healing. We don't want that kind of power in our midst. We like to control our circumstances. We don't like to give that over to someone else. When confronted with the power of Jesus, there is fear that it's struck in a lot of people. Why? They were confronted with a different worldview. We believed something for a long time. We did something for a long time. We tried our superstitions. We tried to ban him. This is how we fix this problem. And now you're telling us that the thing we've been doing for all of these years is wrong. I don't like to be told I'm wrong. Go away from me. I'm scared of changing. I'm scared of doing something different. I'm scared of what it might mean for my life and my circumstances and my decisions to follow you, Jesus. I like to do the things that I like to do. There was fear, and fear pushes Jesus away. Fear says, go away from me. I don't like the feeling that you're placing in my heart. I don't like feeling like I need to change something. I don't like feeling like there's someone more powerful than I am. I don't like this feeling, so go away from me. We see this all the time in our lives, right? When we share the good news with people, when we talk about Jesus in our lives, one of the the things that we know instantly will change the mood in a room is when the name Jesus comes into a conversation. We know the air is going to get sucked out of that room real fast, We know that everybody's going to be like, "Ah, you're one of those. Ah, we're going to have to talk about this. Ah, you're one of those churchy folks. You're one of those Jesus Bible thumper. Like everything shifts when the name of Jesus is brought into a conversation. But we need to see, first and foremost, that is a spiritual response. That is a spiritual response, first and foremost, that the darkness does not want to give up to the light. The evil one does not want people to see what the true reality is. That's a spiritual response to that. So that's one response to this is, is that when we step into the darkness, when we tell people of what God is doing, what we tell people of all that he's accomplished, there will be a large number of people who will say, go away from me. I don't like what you're telling me. I don't like the change that I, I feel like you're calling me to. I don't like the fact that I might have to change the way that I'm thinking. I don't like this. Go away from me but there will be some by faith who will be drawn near. Just like this man who was healed, he was drawn near. Look with me in verses 18 to 20. And as he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. See the difference? What did the townspeople do? Begged Jesus, go away. What did the man who was healed say? Jesus, I'm begging you to go with you. Wherever you go, I want to now go with you. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. When we're confronted with the power of Christ, there's two responses. There's fear or there's faith. Fear says, go away, Jesus. I don't want you in my life. I don't like this. I like the things that I've set up in my life. Faith leads to following Jesus. Faith leads to drawing closer to Jesus. Faith leads to looking to Jesus and say, Tell me whatever you want to do with my life and I will do it. If you don't want me to go with you and you want me to go back to the townspeople and tell them, I will leave you and I will go back to the townspeople and do what you're asking me to do. This is what leads us to faith. And there's two responses that we see in people. And Jesus, knowing this, Jesus recognizes this, Jesus warns of us of of this, but he also says, go into the darkness. Tell people, proclaim what I've done for you. Proclaim the mercy that I have shown to you and let me worry about the results. Let me worry about the spiritual forces that are going on there. Let me, the one who is over that, worry about those kinds of things. There are two different responses to us going out into the world, but it doesn't keep us from going out into the world. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 2, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Some will be propelled away from you because they smell their own death. They smell their own destruction. They smell that something is off, and so they want to get away from you. Some will smell life and say, come closer. This is what I've been longing for all along. This is what I've been wanting for all along. This answers all of my hopes and all of my questions. So I have to ask, even this morning, I would be amiss if I didn't even ask this morning. For some of you are being faced with the power of Christ. You're seeing who Jesus is. You've seen Him in your life. You've heard other people talk about Him. You've read about Him. You've heard the stories about Him. And some of you this morning are sitting here still in fear. I say, I I can't yet. I can't give my life to that yet. It's all a dream. It's all a myth. It's all a legend. It's all something false. I can't— Give myself to that. And I'm calling you right here, right now. If that's you this morning, to let go of that fear. To let the Spirit of Christ work in your heart. To melt the scales that are on your eyes. To see the glory of God in the face of Christ. To make a decision right here, right now. To say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to go after you, Jesus. I want to do whatever you want me to do. God is calling us right here, right now. My question for us as we go into this darkness is, do we reflect our testimonies? Do we really grasp all that Christ has done for us? Look with me again in verse 18. And I love that we don't have a name for this man, we have a past for this man. What this man is called in verse 18 is the man who was possessed with demons. We don't know his name, but we know his testimony. We know that this man once was possessed by demons, and we know that this man is no longer possessed by demons because of the work of Christ in his life. That is not any more spectacular than the work that Christ has done in our hearts. That we were bound by spiritual darkness. We were bound by the things of of this world. We were bound by those things. And Christ, for those who have trusted in Christ, has released us from all of that. We are the man and the woman who was once possessed by demons, who is now possessed by Christ forevermore. That is our testimony. And are we a people who are living out our testimony in the world? Are we a people who know and grasp the depth of all that Christ has done for us and are living that out in the world? Finally this morning, what I want us to see is the value of one. We see the varied response to the power of Christ. Some in fear pushed away. Some in fear said, go away from me. I don't want to be anything to do with you. And some in faith drew near. I want us to see the value of one in this story. Mark tells us, and he opens this chapter in verses 1 and 2, that they, the disciples, and Jesus came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the garrisons. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. What we don't see at the beginning of Mark chapter 5 is what's happening at the end of Mark chapter 4. What's happening at the end of Mark chapter 4 is that Jesus was teaching was healing, doing all kinds of things, doing great things, and he gathered his disciples and said, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. What we don't see in this passage of Scripture in Mark 5 is that that going to the other side was Jesus calming the storm, was the overwhelming, dangerous storm that happened on that sea, on that journey to the other side of the sea what we see after this story, after Jesus had healed this man, after Jesus had set aside the unclean spirits, what does Jesus do? He gets back in the boat and goes back to where he had started the day before. So Mark is telling us, why did Jesus come to this place? Why did Jesus go through the storm? Why did Jesus, the difficulty, the danger of the sea, why did he do that? So that this one man would see the power of Christ in his life. And so that this one man would go back to his friends and his relatives and say, Jesus the Messiah crossed the sea for me, to rescue me, to open my eyes to His beauty, to to give me power over the spiritual darknesses. He came for me, and He will come for you. He will find you as well, wherever you are in your darkness, wherever you are in your binding, wherever you are in the destruction of your life. Christ can find you and rescue you. The value of one, Jesus crosses the sea for this man. This was not an accidental encounter. This was not a coincidence. This was Jesus listening to his father who said, son, go to the other side. I have work for you over there. This is Jesus saying, yes, father, wherever you want me to go, I will go. This is Jesus entrusting everything to his father to see this man come to healing and come to faith. This was intentional on Jesus' part. And the question for us as we see all of this, what is the Father calling us to do? Where is he calling us to go? Where is he calling you to step into the darkness? Where is he calling you to cross a dangerous sea? Where is he calling you to step into something difficult? Where is he calling you to continue to persevere, to entrust him for the one? We're seeing this passage of Scripture too. It seems a little strange. The demons ask, can we not just kind of be obliterated? Could we just go into the pigs for a time? And Jesus gives them permission, and what do the pigs immediately do? They drown themselves. And the value of one, again, in this, in this place, it seems like an odd thing, an odd response to that. But Jesus was demonstrating to the people a couple of different things. One, he was demonstrating to the people what the pigs did, what the demons did to the pigs in destroying them, was what the demons wanted to do to this one man. They were—excuse the expression—they were hell-bent on destroying this man. And he demonstrated that in that they instantly destroyed those pigs— to show the value of this one man and that the value of those two thousand pigs, somebody's livelihood was destroyed in that moment for Jesus to say, This one man is of infinite value over those pigs, over them being destroyed in the sea. This man has a greater value, and his soul and his redemption has a greater value than anything we have in this world. And so, my question for us as we see all of this. This would be a hard question to ask. Some of us, when we see the pigs being destroyed, our response is, what a waste. What a waste. All of those pigs, all of that. For some of us in our own lives, we're holding on to our 2,000 pigs. We're holding on to the herd. And we're saying, I'd rather keep my livelihood. I'd rather keep the things that are comfortable. I'd rather hold on to what feels like a, a more secure future than to have all of that destroyed for the sake of one. So I have to ask myself that question. What, this may sound like a dumb question, what herd of pigs am I holding on to? Like, what am I saying in my life? I just need to let be destroyed for the sake of obedience, for the sake of the value of one. His response is, go home and tell your friends. We don't know the rest of the story. We don't know who came to faith. We don't know who responded in this. We do know the response was they marveled at what was said here. We don't know the response, but I can only imagine that there were some who said, I want this Jesus too. I knew who you were. I saw the change in your life. I saw how you were hopeless and destroyed. I saw how they sent you to the outside of the city, and now I see you in your right mind telling me all that Jesus has done for you. I want that Jesus too, all for the sake of one. So in closing this morning, as we think about all of this, and we think about the sake of one, the application question for us is, is it worth it? Is it worth it for us to step into the darkness to proclaim what the Lord has done for us and the mercy he has demonstrated to us? Is it worth it? Is it worth it for us as a church to care about these kinds of things? Was it worth it for Jesus to go through the difficulty of the storm for this one man? Was it worth it for us as Covenant to send a team of six to get on a plane to have one-on-one conversations with people? Was it worth it? Is it worth it for us to cross to the other side of our street and meet our neighbor and to share with them what the Lord has done for us? Is it worth it to step out of your, your friend group, to step out of those that you're comfortable with and step into somebody's new, someone new's life and, and express goodness to them? Is it worth it to keep praying for that one family member you've been praying for for decades? Is it worth it? Is it worth it for us to regularly pray for people groups and nations that don't really affect our lives, if we're honest about it? Who cares what happens in Bangladesh? Who cares what happens in Sri Lanka? Who cares what happens in Iraq? Who cares what happens in Brazil? God cares. God desperately cares about all of those people. Is it worth it for us to be praying for people that we will never, ever meet this side of glory? I can say in the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Is it worth it? Yes and amen. It is worth it. It is worth it for us as Covenant Church. It is worth it for us as those who have been changed by Christ to step in to the darkness, to intentionally go to the other side of the sea for the sake of one, for the sake of the glory of God. So the question is, what are we called to? As those whom the Lord has done great things for us, as those who have shown great mercy, what are we called to? We're called to proclaim that wherever we go. We're called to look at Mark chapter 5 and be astounded By the spectacular nature of Jesus healing this demon-possessed man, not possessed by one demon, but by thousands of demons, by innumerable amount of demons, that Jesus at a word said, get out, and every last one of them got out. We're to look to Mark chapter 5 and to see the spectacular view of that, and then we're to look to our own heart and to say, Jesus did the same thing for me. Jesus did the same thing for me. He looked at the darkness of my heart, he looked at the spiritual darkness that was in my mind and in my life, and he said, get out, and it got out. And so what is my response to that? The Response is simply this, take the light into the darkness. The light that has been given to you by grace through faith, take it into the darkness. Chase the darkness down. Do not be afraid of the darkness. It is powerless before you because Christ reigns in your heart and in your mind. Go into the darkest, hardest places with joy and with confidence because Christ can do spectacular things. What are we called to in response to Mark chapter 5? We're called to go into the world and tell the world all of the great things the Lord has done for you and how he has shown mercy to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Mark chapter 5. We thank you for this story. We thank you for the grace and the mercy you've shown to us, that you've demonstrated your power in our own lives. I pray even now, that those even now who are sitting in our midst, who are are bound by the darkness, who are blinded by the darkness— who have not yet given their lives to you, Jesus, who are trusting in themselves, who are hoping beyond hope that they have enough strength in them to overcome the darkness. Help them to see once and for all that Jesus, you alone can do that. You alone can heal. You alone can redeem. You alone can rescue and save. Jesus, you alone are who we proclaim. Help us to be a people who are regularly checking our hearts, who are regularly refreshing our minds again and again with our testimony of what you have done in our lives so that we might be compelled to go into the world. Instead, if Jesus can show mercy to me, a sinner lost beyond hope, he can show mercy to you as well. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing.